You're listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast, where we make travel educational and fun. Bears, moose, and elk, oh my. Join us today as we go to Rocky Mountain National Park via Estes Park, Colorado. Today we're talking about Rocky Mountain National Park and Estes Park, Colorado. We absolutely love Estes. We live in Fort Collins, Colorado, or near Fort Collins, so we're only about a 40-minute drive from Estes Park. It's one of our favorite places to visit. It's the location where we were married. We were married at the Stanley Hotel, which is beautiful, um, maybe haunted, but we'll talk about that after a bit. First of all, let's talk about the location. So Estes Park is located in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. There's really two main highways that are going through Colorado. So you have I-70 going from west to east, and then you have I-25 going from north and south, and they pretty much make a cross through the state of Colorado. So if you're coming from Utah or California, you're probably coming through I-70, And in that case, you're going through Winter Park and then Grand Lake to access Rocky Mountain National Park. And we're not going to talk about that entrance point or access, and this probably won't apply very much to you. But if you are going through I-25, then you're going to be going through Boulder or Loveland, so either on Highway 36 through Boulder or Highway 34 through Loveland, and going up the canyon to get to Estes Park. And that's what we'll be talking about today is accessing the Rocky Mountains through Estes Park. So as you head west from I-25, you're either taking Highway 36 or 34. Basically, you're driving through the canyons. So at the point that you hit the mountain range, you're going to be in canyon territory. So what I'm talking about is you're going along the river and you're doing a lot of switchbacks. So you're going from side to side as you maneuver on the highway through the mountains. And if you have little ones who get car sick, this is a good time for them to be focusing on something out in the distance. Make sure that they're not reading or um, watching a movie or doing anything that makes them feel more sick. You're probably only driving about 35 or 40 miles per hour, but you are twisting and turning around the mountains. And then within about 40 minutes to an hour, you enter actual Estes Park. And this opens up into the large park. And by park, I mean that it's a large flat area that is surrounded by mountains. So you hear the term park a lot at uh, national parks or in areas where you have a big flat area with these huge views and expansive views and these mountains off in the distance. So Estes Park is such park like that great views and within Rocky Mountain National Park there's kind of two main parks um, from that west side the Horseshoe Park and then Moraine Park and we'll talk about both of those in just a moment. So this is how you would access Rocky Mountain National Park through the Estes Park side and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about the town of Estes. So 
So Estes Park has a nice downtown stretch where it's the main highway, Highway 36, and there's two lanes in both directions, although the cars get very congested on here. So if you can park a few blocks off, off of town and then walk into town, it, it'll make it a lot easier for you. There's also a big parking garage now that they have that's just at the corner of Highway 36 and 34, and you can park there and easily walk into town. So it's probably only about a mile long, um, the stretch, or a little over a mile. There's places to eat, plenty of different shopping, little taffy stores and candy stores and things that the kids love. There's art galleries and things to see. There's also a number of festivals that happen in Estes Park pretty much throughout the summer and the fall um, because it is such a popular tourist area. They usually are happening on the weekends. So if you go during the weekday, you may not catch one of them. Some of our favorites in terms of the festivals are Wool Market, which is the second weekend of June. This is a chance, It's this is free. It's a chance for kids to see sheep and alpaca and a bunch of other stuff. There's yarn and fiber related items and we have an alpaca farm uh, at our main place. So this is a big event for us to go to every year. Another one is the rooftop rodeo and this takes place in early July. So this is pretty much around the 4th of July and then kind of the five days around that. So I don't know if it's always the first week or if it ends up being the first weekend, but it's early part of July and there's rodeos nightly. There's a parade. There's a bunch of different events going on throughout the week as well. The Highlands Festival is another really great one, and this is the second weekend of September. It's actually four days long, and um, you just have different events like jousting, and um, you can. There's a bunch of vendors, and you can see Irish dancing and just a bunch of other fun things. There's an Independence Day parade that they do up in Estes, which is a lot of fun. And then the Scandinavian Festival is another one that we enjoy. And I don't remember which weekend that one is, but um, some different festivals to check out. And you can just go to the main Estes Park webpage to check out the festivals that they have going on and see if one is happening when you're visiting. One of the other great things about Estes Park is Lake Estes. So Lake Estes is pretty large. You have some beautiful views of different areas. There's some lodging around there too. Not any of the RV parks, but there's lodging for um, hotels and motels and stuff. You can bike about three quarters of the way around it. So it doesn't quite have the bike trail extend over the dam, but you can go around most of it. And it's a pretty nice flat trail. So it's a, and paved. So it's a really nice one. If you have small kids who aren't really ready for mountain biking and doing some of the more extreme stuff, there's also bikes that you can rent there, and there's paddle boats and uh, pontoons that you can rent if you want to go onto the actual lake. You're, it's a no-wake lake, so you're not allowed to have any speed boats or anything that's going fast. It's more just about kind of going out and enjoying the scenery and being relaxed and taking your time and maybe doing some fishing. You can certainly fish here at the lake as well. And there's also fishing over at Mary's Lake, which isn't that far. It's, it's just between Highway 7, which is also known as the Peak to Peak Highway, and 36. So between those two on Mary's Lake Road, you can go to Mary's Lake as well. The last thing to talk about is the infamous Stanley Hotel. This is a beautiful white hotel with a red roof and all of the different buildings and outbuildings for the hotel match the same decor and the same look. It's a Victorian area era hotel and the owner of the hotel invented the Stanley Steamer, which was one of the kind of first automobiles. 
and that's where they had the money in order to build the hotel. And people used to come here if they were suffering from TB because there was thought that being in the clear mountain air would be better for their disease. It's now a historic hotel. It's um, a beautiful place to visit. It's had its highs and lows. So if you've visited maybe 20 or so years in the past and you didn't think things were that great or it was looking a little dilapidated, it's had new investors in the last few years and they've really put a lot of money into building it up and making it beautiful. There's a huge conference center now that's part of the hotel as well and they've just built a new pool. So they've invested a lot of money into this. There's also a pretty decent restaurant that is here. You can get things like elk burgers and some fun stuff like that. I wouldn't say that any of the food in Estes is um, that I would rave about any of the food or that I come back into town and just have to go to any sort of restaurant. But I think if you are wanting kind of a nicer restaurant, the one at the Stanley Hotel is pretty good. Another interesting thing about the Stanley Hotel is that it's rumored to be haunted. It's one. Of, it's considered one of the most haunted hotels in the country. This is where Stephen King came and stayed when he wrote The Shining. And it's kind of based around this idea of this hotel in a mountain town that gets snowed in and inaccessible during the winter months. They, of course, did not film the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining, but um, rumor has it Stephen King was not thrilled with that version. So they redid it into a made-for-TV version where they did actually film it at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. So if you can find a version of that, the TV movie version, then you can see the Stanley Hotel. And if you're in Estes, you should take a trip and head up to the Stanley. Last time we visited, they were charging for parking. So if you're not a guest of the resort or you're not eating at the restaurant, you will have to pay just to go walk around. I don't think it's very much though, maybe $5. Plus if you go and eat, then that'll all be worth it. And when we come back, we're going to start talking about Rocky Mountain National Park. Rocky Mountain National Park is probably your main reason for wanting to come to Estes Park. There's three entrances. Well, there's a few more smaller entrances on the east side. Two main ones. There's some south ones like the Wild Basin entrance, which just goes to a trailhead. And then there's the Long Peak entrance, which is a smaller one that just goes to the trailhead as well. This is the access that people will take if they're hiking Long's Peak, which is one of the 14ers of Colorado. And what I mean by that is that there are 58 mountains in Colorado that are 14,000 feet or higher in elevation. So it's a popular thing for people to hike the 14ers and try to do as many 14ers as they can. Long's Peak is not a 14er to tackle if you're just randomly coming from out of town and want to hike a mountain. It It is one of the more difficult ones. It requires ropes for most of the accesses. So um, this is not one to hike unless you are used to hiking large mountains and you're a climber and you do that regularly. Um, but it's a beautiful one to see and you can see it from many areas within the park. The main two entrances on the east side of Rocky Mountain National Park are Beaver Meadows entrance and the Fall River entrance. So Beaver Meadows is the main one that most people are coming in through. So as you take Highway 36 and you're going through the town of Estes, as you keep heading west, you're eventually going to be at the Beaver Meadows entrance for Rocky Mountain National Park. And as you continue going along Highway 36, it becomes Trail Ridge Road, which is the highest continuous road, I believe, in America, or at least in Continental. I don't know about Alaska. 
and it continues and goes all the way through the park in the summer and fall months. It's it's not open year round. And it continues and comes out through Grand Lake on the other side of Rocky Mountain National Park. And then you can go from there to get over onto Highway I-70. So Beaver Meadows is the most popular entrance from the east side of the park, from the Estes Park side. And as you come in through Beaver Meadows, you're going to be in kind of the Beaver, the Moraine Park area. So you'll see that off to your left. You'll see this big open space. There tends to be elk there. You have these beautiful majestic peaks out in the background. And so this is a, a beautiful entrance to come in through. The way that we usually like to come in through, oh, and there's a visitor center right there as well. So you can stop to get any information you need, junior ranger packets, things like that. When we usually come into Estes, we actually like to go up by the Stanley Hotel. So that's taking Highway 34 going up. It's also called Wonderview Avenue in town. So the street signs are going to say Wonderview Avenue. It goes up along the Stanley Hotel, and then you just keep taking it about four to five miles, and you'll hit the point where the Fall River Visitor Center is. This is the visitor center for the park, but it's not actually within the entrance of the gate, so you have to look for it. It's on your left side. And then as you enter, you go in through the Fall River Entrance Station for Rocky Mountain National Park, and there's a lot fewer people here. So on the busy times of the year, we don't like to go in through Beaver Meadows. We like to just kind of bypass and head to the north. I think a lot of people don't know about the entrance on that north side. And there's some spectacular views and things to see from that north entrance. And you can always make it down to the, to the southern part too, where the Moraine Park and Beaver Meadows area is at. So those are your two main entrances. I would recommend the Fall River entrance, especially if you're going during a high volume touristy season. The next thing to talk about is the Junior Ranger Program. So of course, Rocky Mountain National Park has the Junior Ranger Program like the other big parks. We have done this off season and the kids were able to watch the park movie, which is at the visitor center at Beaver Meadows. We were able to watch the movie because there weren't a lot of programs going on. I think we were there during the winter when we happened to do our badges. During the summer months, I wouldn't be surprised if you're required to do a ranger-led program in order to complete the badge. Um, a lot of the large parks, the places like Zion and Yellowstone, they've really moved to doing an actual ranger program because they offer so many ranger programs at different times in different locations within the park. So they make it really accessible for you to complete one of these programs. And it's such a great learning experience for the kids to do that. We've often just been hiking around and, and wandering around places and there's a ranger or doing some sort of program and we just sit in on it we don't always have it planned but we're usually able to find something like that especially during the high traffic months some of the things to know about the wildlife so the type of wildlife you can expect to see are deer um, not always super exciting but maybe if you haven't seen a lot of them elk which I think is far more exciting because you're at these higher elevations where you have elk and Estes Park is amazing for elk and not just at Rocky Mountain National Park, but Estes Park, if you just go into downtown Estes Park, you're going to see elk roaming around, at least probably not in the high peak of the summer months. So the end of July, early August, they're going to head up into Rocky Mountain National Park because they want to be at the higher elevations where it's cooler. 
But um, at this time of year, we were just there this last weekend. It's Father's Day. So mid-June, the elks were actually calving a lot. Um, Well, they had been recently down by Lake Estes. So the mama elks will go line up around Lake Estes and they'll actually have areas where they close off part of the path because they don't want people disturbing them and they have their babies and then there were still some mamas and the little calves hanging around so that was pretty cool to see this time around another time where you see a lot of elk actually within the town is in the fall during the rut so during the rut they come down they're doing their mating it's a really cool thing to see it's cool to listen to them bugle that's taking place really in september so i wouldn't be surprised if september actually has some of the highest visitor rates because of the fall leaves on the aspen trees and then the elk are in the rut so you end up having two major reasons to be there in the fall Um, of course summer's popular because kids are out of school so um, but any time of year is a great time to go you just can't get all the way through the park trail ridge road is closed for most of the year the snowpack is just too high similar to the way that the going to the sun road is closed at glacier they actually just opened up trail ridge road a few weeks ago uh, which was pretty late this season but we had a lot of snowfall this year in colorado so if it's been a high snow volume year then you know that they're probably going to open the road a little bit later because they have to clear out all that snow Some of the other wildlife that you'll see are, um, you might see moose. We saw a moose this last time at one of the lakes over by Sheep Lake, which is up in the Horseshoe Park area. Um, And then many times when we have been to Sprague Lake, we've seen moose in Sprague Lake. Oh, and we've been to Lily Lake as well, which actually is kind of outside of the park down on the Peak to Peak Highway. And you don't need a park pass to get in there. I don't remember needing any sort of park pass to park there. You can walk around the lake and we've seen moose down there as well. So it's pretty common to see moose. Um, Bighorn sheep are also very frequently around here. There's actually a place called Sheep's Lake, which is over up um, by Horseshoe Park, which is kind of in the northern area because there's a big rocky area to the north and there ends up being a lot of sheep that are here. This last time when we went, we also saw marmots who were up on Trail Ridge Road when we were at the, let's see, it was the Forest Canyon Overlook where we were stopped to see the views and enjoy the views from that area. And there were just marmots, dozens of marmots all over the place in the rocks, hanging out and checking out all the visitors. And then this last time we were there, we also saw a black bear. Now the black bear are certainly there. And if you're backpacking and stuff, you have to be very careful with your food and of course not having food in your tent. But if you're generally just walking at the uh, main trails or around the lakes, you're not going to come across a bear. In fact, we mentioned to the one of the rangers that we saw a bear that day and, and she said she hasn't seen one in the park in two years. So it's not very common to see a black bear. Of course, if you have food on you and you are backpacking, that's a whole different story. <laughs> But if you're just hiking there with your family and you're not going very far from the road, you're probably not going to see a bear. So I wouldn't put that in the expectations anywhere that you'll see a bear. But that's some of the wildlife that you could enjoy seeing. In terms of some of our favorite spots, both of the parks, the Horseshoe Park and Moraine Park are beautiful, big open spaces where you get these lovely views. So you you will come straight into those parks when you either come in through the fall river visitor center or through the beaver meadows visitor center you're going to drive straight into those big open park areas where you can take some gorgeous pictures and you're likely going to see a bunch of elk unless it's the heat of the summer and then and then you won't 
If you're coming up through Horseshoe Park, and this is up through the Fall River Visitor Center, then some of the other stops to see are um, Sheep Lake, like I said, you might get to see some bighorn sheep. And then if you take this little side road, you go off to an area called the Alluvial Fan. And the Alluvial Fan is basically a, a series of a bunch of different waterfalls. You used to be able to kind of walk along this great path and there was a little um, kind of bridge area and you could cross and you could hike up the waterfalls. But then we had these horrible floods and well we had a horrible flood in September of 2013 and it just brought down all these boulders and so the area that used to be this wonderful paved path is covered in boulders they've started to move some of them with bobcats but it takes a long time to clear all of this out so they haven't yet really put a path back in place they're obviously working on that but if you want to hike in this area bring your hiking shoes you have a little bit of a space where there's a path along the river but mostly you're just kind of free hiking as far up as you can go so it's not the easiest place to hike be sure you have proper footwear but it is really cool to see um, you can see the waterfalls there and you get a feel for how forceful nature is and just how devastating these floods are when they they come through and how destructive they can be um, and you wouldn't believe what the canyon looked like when soon after the floods were there and you could actually see washing machines and dryers and parts of people's houses it was it was really sad seeing all that in the river um, they've cleared that up now and the road is fully open and so the canyons are safe to drive up through highway 36 and 34 but um, that was pretty bad for for quite a few years there um, some of the other places, oh, from the alluvial fan, the other access that you get here is the old Fall River Road. Now, this is only open during a few months in the peak of summer, so kind of like mid-July through September, and this is a one-lane dirt road that requires 4x4, four four. so I mean, you need your Jeeps, you need your really rugged vehicles, um, you're not bringing your RV in here. You're probably not bringing your RV in the park if you can avoid it um, at all. But this is a road that if you have a Jeep or you have some sort of four-wheel drive vehicle and you feel comfortable with doing some of this mountain driving, you can go up the road and it will take you from the area where the alluvial fan, fan is and you climb up this road and you come and meet up with Trail Ridge Road, the paved road for Trail Ridge Road, further up by Fall River Pass. So it's a really cool thing to see if you feel comfortable with driving that type of drive. And of course, it's only open for certain parts of the year. Trail Ridge Road in general is really fun to see. So when this is open, which is during the summer months, this is just a nice paved road that you can take. You can certainly fit an RV on here. This isn't like going to the Sun Road where you have a limit on the length of your vehicle. It's just um, you are doing some switchbacks. There are some areas where there's drop-offs when you get up towards the top when you're up in the Alpine that um, if if you weren't paying attention or, or you had a sudden stop, it could be very scary and there's just a huge drop way off to the edge. So it's, it's a little nerve-wracking, but it is certainly doable. This is the continuous road if you want to go through and then continue onto the park on the other side. If you just want to go up Trail Ridge Road, there's some great lookouts along the way. They don't have a ton of parking at these lookouts, so sometimes there's only enough room for like five cars to be at it. Other places, uh, the set ones like Forest Canyon Overlook probably has room for about 30 vehicles. There's no pull-throughs for RVs, so if you're towing something, you're not going to be able to stop there. If you have an RV where it's fairly short and you could park 
in a normal car parking space, you'll be okay. But um, if you have a larger RV, you're probably not going to be able to stop on Trail Ridge Road, at least until you get to the Alpine Visitor Center. And then the Visitor Center has quite a bit of parking and you'd be able to pull through an RV or an RV with a toad at that point in time. Um, so that is Trail Ridge Road. The other place that we really like to explore, and we didn't go this time because they were doing paving on Bear Lake Road, but normally we come in through when we come in through Beaver Meadows Visitor Center, or even if you come north through Fall River Visitor Center, you're going to head south and start taking Bear Lake Road. Bear Lake Road does not go through the park, but it does go to Bear Lake, and Bear Lake is one of the most photographed areas in Rocky Mountain National Park. It is very beautiful. Um, wanted to mention real quick though, on your drive up there, I think it's about 11 miles from the part that point that you're at Moraine Park till you're driving up to where Bear Lake Trailhead is actually at. But on your way, there's Sprague Lake. And we really like Sprague Lake for a few reasons. One, it's only a little over a mile. So it's very easy for the kids to do the hike. There's actually, it's a paved road. So it, it works well if you have strollers and stuff too. It's a paved trail, I should say. Um, so if you need handicap accessible or you're dealing with a stroller, it's a nice paved flat space. Um, I don't think bikes are allowed on it. I've never seen bikes. Bikes aren't generally allowed in most places in, in the park. Um, so we leave the bikes at home. But you can walk along it or you can push your stroller along it. And like I said, it's only about a mile. We have been here before and seen moose hanging out in the lakes and swimming across the lake. It's very cool to see a moose here. I'm not guaranteeing you're going to see that, but you have a good shot if you go here. Um, one of your better shots. And there's some beautiful views of the mountains in the background from the lakes. And um, so it just, it makes for a great sight. And it's not a very difficult lake to hike around. So it's pretty easy for your kids. If you want to continue going up Bear Lake Road, then you get to Bear Lake, which is a larger lake. There's, um, it's going to take a little bit longer to hike around it. But again, it's pretty much flat all the way around. So it's easy enough for the kids to do. You can also, you can do the hike around the lake, which is probably a couple of miles, or you can take the trailhead and go up towards Emerald Lake. So I think this is about three miles. It's been a few years since we've done it, but we were able to do this when the girls were three and four years old. So, and they were able to hike it themselves. So they need to have hiking shoes on, but it's certainly something they can do themselves without you having to carry them. You're not gonna be able to push a stroller up here though. So uh, that's not going to work. Um, so you can hike from Bear Lake and you go, you keep going up into the mountains and you get to Nymph Lake, which is really cool to see. And if you continue hiking, it ultimately ends at Emerald Lake. And the reason it ends is because the mountain cliffs just become way too sharp and steep and there's nowhere for you to continue hiking at this point. But there's a beautiful clear lake and it's really cool to see. And um, obviously it's got a little bit of that bluish green tint to it. Um, not like you're going to see up at Glacier or something, but but for Rocky Mountain National Park, it's a pretty cool lake to see. So that's Emerald Lake. And if you have some adventurous little kiddos or older kiddos, this is a great hike to do. It's also really busy though. So if you're going during a very popular week or popular time of year, it can be hard to find parking at Bear Lake and it's going to be really congested. They actually have a shuttle now that you can use to go from the visitor center up to Bear Lake and that might be the best option if you're set on going to Bear Lake but can't get in there um, for parking. Um, oh, the last thing about Rocky Mountain National Park is that the Continental Divide goes through the 
Park. Um, and of course, the Continental Divide is the point where the rainfall that comes down and kind of hits the east part of the divide is is heading down into like the Mississippi and the east part of Colorado and all of those eastern states. And the rainfall that comes down and hits the west side of the divide is heading out towards California. So it's the dividing point of the mountain range that divides kind of the east and the west, at least in terms of that water flow. And the Continental Divide at this point in Rocky Mountain National Park is about 11,000 feet in elevation. And it even goes up to like 13,000 feet in elevation, depending on uh, the mountain range that it's at. At the point of Trail Ridge Road, it's about 11,000 feet in elevation. And the last thing to mention about being at Rocky Mountain National Park or in general being in the mountains of Colorado is that you want to be drinking a lot of water. So it's easy to become dehydrated here. It's a very dry climate and it drinking a lot of water is just going to help you with the elevation issues and kind of that elevation sickness, the altitude sickness that people tend to get if they're from different states and not used to being at such high elevations. Estes Park in general, I think, is at about 8,000 feet just at resting. And then when you start heading into the park, you're climbing into 11, 12,000 feet as you get up like Trail Ridge Road. So be sure to be drinking a lot of water. Um, also, bring the sunscreen. You're closer to the sun. So be sure that you're bringing the sunscreen because the sun, the sun will fry you here. Um, bring some snacks. There's not a lot of places to get food. So you could get a few little food items at the visitor center. And then when you head all the way up Trail Ridge Road, the Alpine Visitor Center has a little cafe. Not a ton of options. I, I mean, in a, in a pinch, it'll work. But if you have kiddos that need to eat like every 30 minutes like mine do, just be sure to pack a lot of trail mix and little snacks like that. And then um, don't overextend yourself. So a lot of times people come from out of state and they want to head right into the mountains and do the skiing and do the hiking. And then they just have a headache and feel exhausted later in the day. And it's just your, your body has to get used to that elevation. So cut yourself a break. Maybe don't do too much extensive hiking on that first day that you get in or even take a break the first day and then head up to the park the second day. So those are just some tips for heading up to Rocky Mountain National Park. And when we come back, we're going to talk about places to stay. So like other national parks, Rocky Mountain National Park does have some in-park camping. Mostly it's geared towards tent camping and backpackers. They do have some areas that allow for RVs. Our RV is too large for most of the sites. I think we have a 37-foot Jayco, and I think there's only two campsites that could even accommodate that, and that's Glacier Basin and Moraine Park. Um, of course, there's no hookups at any of these sites, so there's no water or anything. There's not even like a water area to fill up on water. So if you are fully self-sufficient and able to be in your RV for a number of days, then this would work fine. Or if you're just going to do a night or two in the actual park, this will work out just fine. But because there's no hookups, um, if you require some other stuff, electricity, or you need some water after a certain amount of time, it's probably not going to work so well for you. So what are your other options? Well, there's a few different RV parks in town. Um, the Manor RV Park is kind of right at the 36 highway at the point where there's a turnoff that goes down to the YMCA 
and it's um, kind of open to the highway, but it is right next to Rocky Mountain National Park, and there's some good access there. So you would have a bit of the highway traffic and the noise from that, but you're very close to Rocky Mountain National Park if that's your main point and destination being there. There's also the Spruce Lake RV Park, which is just a little bit closer to town on Highway 36. So just another minute away from the park, not very cl- not very far at all, and pretty close to town. So you may not necessarily walk into town from that location, but you could easily ride your bike um, or drive because you're, you're just right there. Plus, it's on the river, so you have some nice river access to do uh, fun things on the river like fish and whatnot. So those are two places. There is a KOA that's in town. It's further out of town. So it is on Highway 34 as you're really heading out of Estes and just about to get into the canyon space when you're driving back, going down to Loveland. So it is, it's further out of town. You're definitely too far to just be walking the main strip in Estes, downtown Estes. Um, but you are close enough to drive. The other thing to know about the KOA, it's considered a KOA holiday, but um, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure anybody's like having glowing recommendations about this KOA. It's, it is pretty tight. The, the spots are right next to each other and very tight to each other. It's right next to stables for some of the main horseback riding companies. So you are going to have the smell of the stables that are right next door to you. Um, so I think that's a good thing to note. Also for us, our RV doesn't even fit at that KOA. So I don't know what the length limit is for the RVs, but I can tell you that 37 feet is way too long. And so the KOA is not even an option for us. There's also a Jellystone. It's the only Jellystone we have in Colorado, at least at this time. It's down on Highway 34. So um, Highway 34 is your access up from Boulder. And before you actually are finished going through the canyon, you hit the Jellystone Park, which is kind of on the east side of the road. And there's some bigger spaces that are a little bit further out, but that's mostly reserved kind of for your tent campers and stuff. Um, but it is a Jellystone, so it will have some of the features of a Jellystone. It's it's just important to note that it is really outside of Estes Park. So you have probably a 15-minute drive to then get into Estes Park. And once you're in Estes Park, you probably have another 15, 20 minutes to get to the entrance of Rocky Mountain National Park. So I think it's just important to note that it's not necessarily right in Estes with all the other items. And that might be fine with you and you might be okay with that, but you'll definitely wanna make sure that you have a towed vehicle with you or you are pulling a trailer so you have a vehicle because this is gonna be too far to bike or walk into town or getting to the park. Where we ended up staying was the Mary's Lake Campground. The Mary's Lake Campground is a private campground. Actually, I believe the technical name is Estes Park Campground at Mary's Lake. It's independently run, so you can go online and book that ahead of time. Um, They apparently do have some walk-ups, but we tried to kind of walk up the day before our reservation and they didn't have anything open. So I think it's best to try to reserve if you're going to be here. It's a nice campground because it is right by Mary's Lake. You just have to cross the road to be on Mary's Lake and you can do fishing and all sorts of fun stuff there. The campground itself is pretty nice. You have um, some 
a fire pit, picnic table. There's a playground. There's a pool. It's heated, but it is the mountains and it's awfully cold. So um, it's probably even more enjoyable in July and August. Here in June, it was a little freezing even with the heated pool. Um, the kids still swam in it, but their lips were purple after a little while. So uh, it is a nice campground though. We did enjoy it. And I actually have a video review on the Mary's Lake campground. So if you want to see that, just check out RV Homeschool channel on YouTube and you should be able to find that review along with a bunch of other reviews. So I would recommend the Murray's Lake Campground. I think the next time we go we'll either try to go into the park and see if we can camp a night or two because we can boondock it for a few nights and then we might try the Spruce Lake RV Park because it was right on the river and there's a good little coffee shop nearby and we just thought that might be a cool place to check out the next time. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the RV Homeschool Podcast, and may your travels be safe and educational and fun.